if you got your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 11 and then Genesis chapter 48. Hebrews chapter 11 and then Genesis 48. Um, our study today starts with this question. Have you ever questioned the importance of something that others thought was super important? All right, let me ask that again. Have you ever questioned the importance of something uh, that others thought was super important? Some of you are like, yes, kissing a board. That definitely would be one of those things. Uh, sometimes what can happen is if you meet someone who is not from the area that you're from and they're like, look, this event that we've done since I was a kid is the best. You're going to love it. You got to come and see it. And you're like, eh, I don't know. Well, that happened to me uh, when uh, I moved from uh, growing up in Texas to going to Oklahoma State for college. When you show up at OSU, the first thing they start telling you about to look forward to is something that they call homecoming. All right. Most schools have homecoming and uh, we even had it where, you know, that you get like a mum or a garter or all that stuff and, uh, and do the different things. But OSU homecoming, they would tell us, was the third largest homecoming in the nation. First of all, I didn't know there was a competition, but apparently it is. And so uh, it was the third largest homecoming in the nation. And people kept telling you, once you see it, you'll understand. It's a really big deal and it's a whole lot of fun. Well, I thought, okay, cool. So they work on like, you know, floats and they do a parade. I mean, how, what, how, how big can it be? Well, my freshman year, there were older classmen that would tell us, we won't be able to see you until after late October, early November uh, when, uh, when, the, uh, when the homecoming takes place. And we were like, seriously, it's that big a deal? And they go, once you experience it, you'll understand. Well, OSU homecoming is not floats that float down the street. What they do is the Greek houses and different campus organizations build these massive floats on the fronts of their buildings, and they do what they call pomping. How many of you knew what pomping was? There you go. All right, there you go. Homecoming people, all right? Okay, what happens is they pomping has to do with the little cupcake-looking paper things that they stick to the floats to make it look like flowers all over the floats. All that to say... I'm telling you, it was huge. Once I experienced it, I thought it was amazing. I still didn't give my life to it like many other people at OSU did, but I'm telling you, I really had an understanding of something that they thought was really, really important. So all that to say, the passage of scripture that we're going to study today in Genesis is a passage that honestly, when you read through it for the first time, you go, really, this is that big a deal? But in Hebrews chapter 11, the passage we're going to study in Genesis is highlighted as one of the moments that we call at seminary the hall of faith. Like it is a hall of fame faith moment that takes place in Genesis 48, what we're going to study today, even though it just seems like a typical blessing. Look with me, if you will, at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. Hebrews 11, by the way, at seminary, we refer to this as the hall of faith because the writer here lists all these different massive faith moments throughout the Old Testament. And look at what he says, verse 21. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, look at this, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Stop right there for just a minute. As far as Jacob's life goes, this is the moment that the writer in Hebrews puts in the hall of fame puts in the hall of faith that's worth bringing up as the biggest faith moments in the history of the Israel, Israelite people, in the history of the Hebrew people. Now, here's what's interesting. Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob got the promise of Almighty God that he would be a great nation. Jacob got to be a part of all these massive faith moments, including relocating his family to Egypt so that they could survive. And in the midst of all that stuff, the writer here in Hebrews says the moment that he blessed the kids and then last week's study when he leaned on the top of his staff were the two biggest faith moments that he had in his entire life. Why? Because 
They have to do with the end of Jacob's life. They have to do with Jacob trusting that when his life is done, that the Lord will carry on the promise, even though it seems like the circumstances are dire. That God is going to carry on the lineage, even though he didn't pour into uh, Joseph's sons. They had grown up in Egypt and not in Canaan with the rest of his family. He had not taken the time to disciple them, but he had discipled Joseph and was trusting that God was going to use Joseph to disciple them in the ways of Yahweh. If you're taking notes, write this down. God's expectation is that we would finish well no matter how extreme or tame our circumstances. The reason that this is a big faith moment that is worthy of being in the Hall of Fame is because Jacob, even though he started in difficulty, even though he lived very selfishly, even though he made poor decisions, toward the end of his life, he was striving with all his might to trust God with everything he had beyond the things even of his lifetime. God's expectation is that we would finish our race well. Now, just for the record, there are some of you in big mistakes. I don't know about you, but welcome to the human race, okay? We've all made mistakes. And sometimes it takes a lot of guts to walk through the doors because you think you come into church and it's full of all these perfect people. Spoiler alert, every one of us falls short of God's glory, including your pastor up here on the stage. God's goal for your life is not that you would be perfect. He sent his son Jesus to fulfill that perfection for us. God's desire is that you would trust Jesus and live a life of discipleship. It means it doesn't matter what you've done up until this moment. God can still do great things in and through your life if you choose to cling to him and strive to finish well. Just for the record... This message that we're going to walk through today addresses this question. How do you finish well? How do you finish well? There are some of you in this room that this message is going to hit you today because of your work situation. Times are changing, things are shifting, and you're about to be in a different job situation than you are right now. If that is you, then the the message that we're going through is very much for you today. This is how you finish well in your work scenario. There are going to be others of you who are trying to finish well because of a botched relationship, because something fell apart, because something got messed up along the way. And if that's you, then the message is for you today. And then there's going to be others of you that one day you will have to, of course, say goodbye to this world and go into eternity. There is a very literal description in the passage we're going to go through today of how you finish the last days of your life. This is applicable to every single one of us because one day you will die. And I promise you, you're going to want to finish your race the right way. So, how do we finish well? Now flip over to Genesis chapter 48 verses 1 through 7. One of my favorite examples, by the way, of finishing well comes from a movie called Cool Runnings. Do you remember Cool Runnings back in the day? Great, great movie, Cool Runnings, uh, about the 1988 Jamaican bobsled team, first Jamaican bobsled team in history. Again, you think about the uh, Winter Olympic team from a, uh, uh, from a, uh, from a warm climate, from a, a Caribbean climate. Again, it's, a, uh, it's just an amazing and beautiful story, and you watch it. The way the story comes together, you've got the young man, Darius, 
Olympics, who's the captain of the team, great sprinter, desires to win that gold medal, desires to compete in the Olympics so much so, and living on the island is a man named Irv Blitzer. And Irv Blitzer, played by John Candy, does an awesome job in the role, plays the young, or plays the older coach who was at one point a gold medalist, but got so obsessed with winning uh, that he ended up cheating later on in his career uh, in order to win. And so uh, they pair together, but it's a beautiful picture uh, in this circumstance of a young man trying to do things right from the beginning, connecting with this older man who had made mistakes. He's like Jacob. He's made mistakes earlier on in his career, but he's striving to help the next generation to make the handoff to them so that they don't fall into the same patterns that he fell into. And do you remember the scene? Doris wants to ask his coach, why'd you cheat? Why'd you do it? Why'd you do this thing? Why did you do something that humiliated you, that humiliated your team, that humiliated your country? Why would you fall in to that type of behavior? And do you remember Darius kind of piddles around that he's trying to figure out how to ask, and all of a sudden, uh, Irv, the coach, looks at him and says, I know what you want to ask. You want to ask why I cheated. Darius says, yes, I do. He says, it's simple, really. I had to win. It was the most important thing to me. It ruined my life. And then he offers up the great wisdom that only someone who has made mistakes but is striving to do the right thing to finish the race well could say. He offers up insight to the young man. He says, if you're not enough without the gold medal, you'll never be enough with it. At that point, Doris, because he's listening very intently to what the coach has to say, says, coach, how will I know? And do you remember... The coach looks at the player and says, I guess you'll find out when you cross the finish line. Those words ring true in the young athlete's ears. And all of a sudden, they compete in the Olympics, go through the highs and lows, and then all of a sudden, they're on pace to win a medal. And as they're going through, it gets to the last 100 yards. And do you remember, by the way, you had like 40 years to see this movie, okay? So you're going down, and all of a sudden, they're going down in the last 100 yards, and sure enough, the sled tips over on its side because the sled, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the blades are too rickety to be able to go through to the end. It falls over on its side, and the players are right there 100 yards from the finish line. Do you remember the scene? I watched it this morning and cried on YouTube, all right? Just watching it just to get ready for this morning. But I'm watching this scene, and you watch it at the end. They're on their side. They're in pain physically because they've just fallen over. They're in pain emotionally because they, the medal has been taken away from them. They've been striving to win the respect of those around them. And even in their own families, they're trying to do something that other people don't fully understand. And do you remember? Doris, the captain, takes off his helmet, takes off the goggles, and you see it, the fire in his eyes. He says, guys, I got to finish the race, the conversation he's had with his hero, the conversation he's had with the coach, the conversation he's had with the Jacob figure. He says, I've got to finish the race. I've got to know what's inside me. I've got to know if I'm enough without this gold medal. I've got to know, guys. And then the other players around him go, we don't fully understand the drive, but we will help you do this. And do you remember? They lift up the sled and they carry it in silence towards that last hundred yards towards the finish line. The crowd doesn't fully understand the weight of the moment, but all of a sudden it hits them like a ton of bricks as they carry the sled and walk across the finish line. The entire crowd erupts in applause, realizing the moment is so heavy that these athletes would finish their race. Can I tell you something? I've always thought about this. Who won the gold medal for bobsled in 1988? None of us know. I mean, maybe the Swiss, I guess, from the movie, you know what I mean? Maybe the Swiss, I don't know. 
I couldn't tell you who won the gold medal, but I could certainly tell you about that heroic moment when they walked the sled across the finish line. They finished the race. There are some of you that have come to a realization that you ain't going to win the gold medal with your life right now. Does that mean that you just quit? It is a lie straight from the pits of hell that if you can't win the gold medal, then you quit. Hadn't you figured this out yet? Your life is not a 100-yard dash. Your life is a relay race. Up until Christ comes back, we run our leg and then we hand off the baton to the future generations and they're the ones who continue to run. In fact, the only single race that has ever been run, he did the work for us. Your life, you are to finish your leg well, no matter where you started from, whether it was ahead, behind, or neck and neck with the opposition. We are called from this day moving forward to die to self and to let God be the one in control. So how do you finish well? Jacob is going to outline that for us very, very well, so much so that he gets in the hall of faith for what he does. Look at Genesis chapter 48, verses 1 through 7. How do you finish well? Here's what it says. It says, now sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. And when Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, look at this. Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Circle, highlight, and underline, rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Joseph then said to, or Jacob then said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. He said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will become mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan to, to my sorrow, Rachel died. That's uh, Joseph's mother. Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still uh, while we were still on our way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there. I buried her there beside the road in Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Now stop there for just a minute. What you have in this passage is so interesting. If you've ever visited someone in the hospital before, right before they pass away, for someone who really wants to make good on the moment, what do they do? Even though they're in pain, even though their body is withering away, even though it's a very stressed and difficult moment, what do they do? They rally strength and they sit up because this is a very important interaction that they're going to have have with you. That's what Jacob does here. Jacob, even though his body is withering away, he'll be dead in weeks at this point. Jacob rallies strength. He sits up and says, Joseph, I'm so glad you're here. And what's the first thing he does? He reminds Joseph of the promise of the covenant from Almighty God that we will be a great nation and he will bring us to the promised land. Don't forget, my son. Don't forget that God is still on his throne. He is still good and he will keep his promises to us. He then comes back and says, and by the way, your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, I didn't get to disciple them like I wish I could have. I didn't get to teach them about Yahweh and our culture the way that I wish I could have. But I know that God is going to take care of them through you. I know that you're going to pass on the truths of Yahweh to them so they can pass on the truths of Yahweh just as if they were in my own immediate family. What a powerful thing to remember. How does that make the hall of faith? Look at me. Because Jacob can't do it on his own. It's beyond his lifetime. 
real, genuine faith is coming to the point where you say, God, I trust you with the future. It belongs to him anyway. God, I trust you with the future, even what is most precious to me in my own family. If you're taking notes, how do you finish well? Number one, first and foremost, give your very best to God and to your family. Give your very best to God and to your family. Even though Jacob is tired and weak, he rallies his strength, he sits up in the bed, and he reminds Joseph of the promise of God, and he also reminds him of the hope for the future in his kids. If you're taking notes, this is a great little quote here. It comes from Matthew Henry. He's my favorite commentator. Hundreds of years ago, Matthew Henry wrote this. Those who have the honor of old age must be content to take the burden of it. Let me say that again. Those who have the honor of old age must be content to take the burden of it. Instead of Jacob being selfish here and going, ah, why is he here? I already talked to him. I've already told him everything. I've taught him everything I know. Instead of him going, I hurt. I don't feel bad. Or I feel bad. I don't feel good. Why don't you just go back and do your own thing? Instead, Jacob realizes the power of the moment and uses the precious energy units he has left to pour into his son and to pour into his grandson. Are you in a situation right now where you are using your most precious energy units on people that don't deserve it? This city will call for every ounce of energy you have, and it will take from what matters the most, your relationship with God and your relationship with your immediate family, with those who, again, the Lord has given you to love, who he's given you to take care of. In our old age, may we be the ones who live in such a way that we give to God what is God's, those sacred, precious moments. By the way, Jesus says it this way. Save your spot there in Genesis 48. And now look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. This is a very DC verse. Are you ready? Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. If you do, they may trample them under feet, look at this, and then turn and tear you to pieces. Stop right there for just a minute. When it comes to our best... This city will take everything from you that you will give. And you know what? Just hear me say this. It's a town of pigs and dogs. You know why he says pigs? Because they'll eat anything. If you offer it, they'll eat it. If it's grandma's pearls, they'll eat grandma's pearls. If it's garbage, they'll eat the garbage. They'll eat whatever you put in front of them. Man, a godly person comes to the point where you realize, I save grandma's pearls to hand down to my kids. I save what is sacred for almighty God. I don't just cast it before whoever's in front of me. This city will take your pearls, it'll take what is sacred, and it will trample it underfoot just like it was garbage or trash. Now, would you say, Zach, are you belittling the work that we do here? Absolutely not. But be an adult. Be a, be a disciple. A disciple comes to the point where you realize, I'm going to give the pearls to my family. I'm going to give what is sacred to God. And I'm still going to work as hard as I can, but I'm going to make sure I do it with perspective. A boxer understands this. My dad used to preach this principle. A boxer understands this. When you do your research on another boxer that you're fighting against, you figure out, is the boxer explosive out of the gate, or is the boxer one that sits back and waits for the later rounds? There was a boxer back in the day named Mike Tyson, Iron Mike Tyson. 
And Iron Mike Tyson seemed unbeatable. They used to call him Kid Dynamite. In fact, for any of you who played the old uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out boxing game uh, on old school Nintendo, you'll remember Kid Dynamite is what they called Mike Tyson. You know why? Because Mike Tyson in the first two rounds would unload such a pummeling that he would always win in the first two or th- first one, two or three rounds. In fact, there were several uh, uh, boxing matches where he would get a knockout in the first few minutes of the fight because he was so explosive. But you know what they figured out later on in his career? If you could get to round three, five, seven, ten, then you could wait him out because he used all those energy units. And then all of a sudden, you could beat him in the later rounds. But you had to conserve energy so that then you had something left to throw when you got to those later rounds. You ever tried to swing your arms when they were just completely dead, when you just couldn't do much at all, and you just feel like this? Watch a boxing match where a boxer has used too much of their energy early on, and you watch it. I mean, they're just swinging about like this at the end because they have absolutely no energy left. Our house has got four levels of stairs. Basically, our plot of land is about the size of a two-car garage, but it's stacked on itself four different times to make our house. After I work out, which has been a while, okay? It's been a while. You try to climb stairs after you've worked out. Can I tell you what happens? Those energy units are gone. You've ripped your leg muscles to shreds. I'm about climbing the stairs like this, lifting with my arms, just trying to get up the stairs. Listen, there are some of you. You come in after work, and you use all 10 of your daily energy units to keep your head above water at work, to keep your head above water and what you're doing in this city for a profession, and then you get home, and it's what is sacred, it's the pearls of your life, and you sit there and you go, oh, I got nothing left. And then before you know it, you're expending leftover nothing energy on the ones that deserve your best. How do you finish well? Disciples who finish well are the ones that make the decision, I will not give pearls to swine. I will not give dogs what is sacred. I know my priorities. I serve Almighty God, and I desire to be a good son or daughter. I desire to be a good husband or a good wife. I desire to be a good community member, to love my neighbor as I love myself. It begs the question, are you wasting valuable influence Are you wasting valuable influence? We watched this in action with my dad towards the end. He, uh, his body was being ravaged by neuroendocrine stage three pancreatic cancer. And pancreatic cancer is a quick killer. Some of you know that firsthand, just like I do. Um, And dad, in the beginning, the cancer had spread to his liver uh, from his pancreas. And this was right before he started chemo. Um, This was just before the church started, too. We flew back to Lubbock, Texas to be with him. We were there uh, with him for six or seven days. Uh, This, again, was before the church, just, uh, I mean, months before the church started. And I'll never forget, we watched him. We were sitting on the back porch, and I remember watching my dad shudder and jolt just like this, and his hands would grip, and he'd close his eyes because the cancer was hitting the nerves in his body, and he'd jolt and shake because the pain was just so intense. He even would say this during those days. He would say, we're sitting on the back porch, and he said, I feel the monster growing. That was his exact words. I feel the monster growing. Well, in the middle of that time, 
What dad would do is he would lay in bed and he would just try to do his very best to not just ache with pain all the time. And we got word that my brother was coming into town to spend time with my dad. And it had been a long time in between them spending time together. So we're waiting at the house that day. And it was no big deal, but my brother showed up a little bit late. And I remember dad was trying to rally and gather his strength. And we're sitting there at the house and we just watch him shake and tense. And we just wanted him to be able to lay down and to rest. And I get frustrated. And I'm like, why is he doing this? Why is my brother late? Why isn't he here? Da, 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 da. And I'll never forget, giving his best, my dad said, be careful what you say. He's my son. I remember in that moment, it calmed my spirit. I felt bad. And then it was not long after that, my brother walked through the door. And do you know what my father did? He straightened up. He rallied. He sat up and he even stood up out of his chair. It was one of the first times that he had done that the whole day. He stood up and he greeted my brother with an embrace. In that moment we watched, he gave those precious energy units to the place they needed to go in service of Almighty God and in embrace of his son that he deeply, deeply loved. Who's getting your best moments? Is it this city? Because they're pigs. Is it this city? Because at their core, they're dogs. This city is going to roll on without you. It has for hundreds of years, and it will continue. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't cast your pearls before pigs. Are you wasting your valuable influence? Now look with me what happens next in Genesis 48, verses 18, or 8 through 19. So again, he shows up, and then here's what it says in verse 8. It says, when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me now, that I may bless them. These are his grandchildren, the ones that were born in Egypt that he's not spent much time with. It says, verse 10, now Israel, that's Jacob's eyes, were failing because of his old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them, and he embraced them. What a beautiful moment here. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. What a glorious moment. I mean, this is a storybook moment that takes place here. Verse 12, then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees, bowed down with his face to the ground, and Joseph took both of them, Ephraim and his right towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on the left towards Israel's right hand, and he brought them close to him. But look at this. But Israel reached out his hand and put it on Ephraim's head and said, even though he was younger, he crossed his arms and put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And then Joseph Joseph said, May the God before whom our fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name, and may the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, may they, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. But look at this. But when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. Circle, highlight, and underline, he was displeased. The storybook moments falling apart. 
So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your hand on his head. Look at verse 19. But his father refused and said, I know, son, I know. He too will become a people. Uh, He too will become a people. Uh, uh, And he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. Stop right there for just a minute. This is the picture of how to finish well in powerful fashion. This is the reason it ends up in the hall of faith. You have this moment. Jacob can barely see and all of a sudden Ephraim and Manasseh are placed before him. He steps up and goes, oh, what a wonderful moment. I get to bless my son. I get to bless my grandsons. And then the spirit of God calls out and says, cross your arms, Jacob. The blessing will not be a typical one. It's in that moment, Jacob in great faith crosses his arms, the right hand, the typical blessing for the oldest child, and the left hand, the blessing for the younger child. He says, cross your arms, Jacob. Jacob does, and he prays that beautiful, beautiful prayer. May God bless these young men. But Joseph, seeing the crossed arms, goes, foolish old man, Foolish old man, what are you doing? You had one job here. We have the storybook moment. I brought the kids. I brought you guys out of Canaan so that you could survive in the nation of Egypt with me. I'm standing in the gap for you and for our brothers and for our family every single day. Come on, old man. Can't you just bless my kids the way I wanted you to bless them here at the end? And what does Jacob do? With such great faith, he looks at his son, who's the second most powerful person in the entire world at that point, and he looks at him and says, I know, son, I know, with the gentleness in Jacob's voice, the gentleness of a father trying to cross the finish line the right way to do what God Almighty has called him to do, but still be a good father at the same time, says, I know, son, I know they are both going to be great, but the Spirit has shown me that something is very special for your youngest. I need you to trust me. If you're taking notes, how do you finish well? Number one, we've got to give our very best to God and to our family. And number two, you finish well by lovingly speaking hard truth. Do you ever just want to give somebody what they want? You ever just want to do that? You just want to say what they want to hear? You just want it to end up that movie storybook moment? where you just say what they want to hear, where you just do what they want to do. And here's what happens. Jacob knows this is it. With Joseph, this is it. With the grandchildren, this is it. He's about to go and be with Yahweh. And what does he do? The Lord calls for him to cross his arms and to do it different than is expected, to do it different to the point that it displeases Joseph, the one who has saved their family. And what happens? Jacob goes, son, I love you so much. I know this is not conventional, but I submit to God more than I submit to wanting you to like me. It gets him in the hall of faith, crossing his arms, so much so that in the New Testament, the writer in Hebrews would say one of the biggest faith moments was when Joseph watched his father cross his arms and do it God's way. He goes against the culture to do this in this moment. If you're taking notes, write this down. A word from God must be delivered with urgency and accuracy. A word from God must be delivered with urgency and with accuracy. 
Jacob doesn't have much time, and so he has to share the truth with his son. I received some hard truth in the last few weeks. Um, this was a hard week for me. Kind of dipped into the darkness. I feel like this sometimes. You ever been on a plane ride before where it was really storming down below, and then you pull out and you dip back, dip back down below the clouds, and it's stormy and turbulent? I feel like that's been the COVID experience. There are times I trust God and I'm above the clouds, and there are other times I'm down in the storm. I got down in the storm this week, and I have a dear friend who had given me an illustration named Jacob West. Ironically, his name is Jacob, too. Jacob's the pastor at First Baptist Church in Plainview, Texas. In fact, when he pastored First Baptist Stanford, they're the ones, Jacob's church is the ones that bought this podium that I've used every, uh, every week for, for almost four years now. I called Jacob to check on him. He had some stuff going on in his life, and he ended up spotting something in me, and he lovingly spoke hard truth into my life. He starts asking. I start to kind of dip down below, show that I'm below the clouds in the storm. And he stopped, and he said, can I tell you a little story? He said, if I'm really being honest, a huge portion of my ministry career, I judged success by what he called the yellow card. He said, the yellow card is the card that is placed on my desk on Sunday afternoon that lists the attendance that we had on Sunday morning, that lists the giving from Sunday morning, that lists the decisions that were made for people to join the church, to follow Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, to be baptized, and then it has basically the high points of the week all listed on this yellow card. He said, once the virus hit... He said, I don't get a yellow card on my desk anymore. He said, our attendance, a lot of it is happening, most of it is happening online. He said, the finances are almost exclusively coming in online or mailed checks throughout the week. He said, I don't get the validation of the yellow card anymore. He said, but we did it for the Lord and not for the pat on the back from the yellow card. At that point, I said, what are you trying to tell me? He said, I think you ought to forget about the yellow card. Now listen, for each one of us, hard truth, hard truth is one of the kindest things that we can offer to another human being. Not in anger, but just like Jacob, I know, son, I know he empathizes with him so much that we would have, I know in that passage twice, I know, son, it's not what you expected, but I will not uncross my arms. I know it's what you want. I knew it when I did it that this was going to cause you difficulty, but I love you too much to just tell you what you want to hear. By the way, there's a great verse that highlights that in the book of Hebrews. Save your spot in Genesis and flip over to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 11. Here's what the writer in Hebrews has to say. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Later on, however, look at this. It produces a harvest of righteousness and what? Peace 
Righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Stop right there for just a minute. This idea of discipline and unpleasantness producing righteousness and peace. It's a beautiful picture. When we have those tough conversations, specifically with the people that we love most, you got to have energy units left over to have those talks. And when you do, it's got to be a moment where you say, I empathize with your situation. I empathize with how you thought things were going to be, but you have to trust me. This is what God wants. This is what scripture says. If you will trust this, then you will be blessed and not just you, but there will be a harvest of righteousness. There will be a harvest of peace in your spirit if you'll just trust the truth. It begs the question, are you leaving something unsaid that could have eternal implications? Let me say that again. Are you leaving something unsaid that could have eternal implications? When I first wrote this part of the past, or first part of the message, I just wrote, are you leaving something unsaid? And then I got to thinking about it and I added uh, that, that could have eternal implications because I just knew there would be one of you that would be like, you're right, pastor, I'm going to write that Yelp review. You know what I mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to speak the truth about Roy Boys. I mean, whatever it is, right, that you were going to do, okay? I, I just tell you that to say this. If that's what you got from this, you missed it, all right? This is for people you love where it takes a real energy unit. This is not a Yelp review, okay? Those have their place, all right? But, but just not in the sermon, okay? <laughs> that have eternal implications. Is there a conversation that the Spirit has been heavy on you that you need to have with somebody? And you know it's going to be difficult. You know it's going to take energy. But to withhold it, to withhold it is cruel, Let's keep moving. Look with me, if you will, Genesis 48. And now let's look at verses 20 through 22 as we finish the passage. Genesis 48. Jacob has the tough discussion with his son. It says, verse 20, and then he blessed them that day and said, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Now look at this. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh that day. Verse 21, it says, Then Jacob said to Joseph, I'm about to die. Look at this. But God will be with you. Circle, highlight, and underline. But God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers and, as, uh, and to you. Look at this. As one who is over your brothers, I give you the ridge of land. Underline, I give you the ridge of land. I took from the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Stop right there for just a minute. What Jacob does here at the end is so beautiful. He starts off and he says, son, I bless you and I bless your children. But he says, and by the way, Joseph, I've got a very special gift to give to you. As he's finishing well, he finds different things that he can give to his sons. They have no possessions at this point to pass down. In fact, they're enslaved people at this point. He doesn't even have any land. And what does he say? He says, son, even though I go to be with Yahweh, Yahweh will still be with you just as he was with me. He then says, and I'm going to give you a ridge of land. Do you remember who owns all the land at this point? Pharaoh. He took it from them. Joseph was the one who negotiated it. What he has given him is not a piece of property. He says, that ridge, when you pass through our homeland, that ridge is where the Lord delivered me on a day I thought I was going to die. He said, son, I give you the story. He said, every time I saw that ridge, I was reminded God will prevail. He says, that's not for you, brothers. That's just for you. 
He said, I'm handing off a piece of faith in my life that you might remember as God was there for me on my darkest day. So he will be there for you. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do you finish well? Number one, give God your very best and your family. Number two, lovingly speak hard truth. And number three, tether others' hope to God and not yourself. Tether others' hope to God and not yourself. I've seen it happen too many times over the years. When a godly patriarch or matriarch passes away and the children fall away like sand on the shore. When you watch it happen, you know that the faith and hope of the family was tied more to the patriarch or matriarch than it was to the one who made the patriarch or matriarch. If that is us, then we failed. Our faith can't die with us. We have to pass it on, Christian. We have to pass it on to the future generation. If we don't, then we failed. Jacob says to his son Joseph, I'm giving you the ridge. That was when God took care of me and he will take care of you and your descendants the same way. If you're taking notes, write this down. Last quote today. Do not overestimate your role or underestimate God's role. Let me say that again. Do not overestimate your role or underestimate God's role. Are we tethering others' hope to ourselves or are we tethering their hope to God because he will always be there for them? It begs our final question today, and we'll call it a day. Are you finishing well? Are you finishing well? Or if you're really being honest, is it time you kicked it into gear just a little bit? I love you guys. Thanks for listening. This one was for me today. I want you to know that. This one was for me today. I hope that you guys were able to hear it. Sometimes a preacher preaches to themselves so much, it's hard for the crowd to hear it. I hope that you guys were able to take something for yourselves today too. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. Nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I've been giving pearls to pigs. If I'm really being honest, I've been giving dogs what is sacred. It's time I get my priorities straight. With nobody looking around but just me, if that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I'd start giving my pearls where they need to go, and I'd start giving the Lord what is sacred. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. So many, so many. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. Maybe half the room. Guys, this city breeds it in us, doesn't it? If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. Moving forward, the Holy Spirit desires for you to do what's right. I'm going to pray for you. But if that was you, just pray this simple prayer. God, let me give you what is sacred. And let me give my pearls to those who appreciate them. God, let me give you what is sacred. And let me give my pearls to those who appreciate them. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to share a hard truth with someone where there are eternal implications, not a Yelp review. I need to share some hard truth 
with someone that I love dearly, and there are some eternal implications to that thing. With nobody looking but just me, it's a very godly thing to not uncross your arms when the Lord calls for it. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would have the guts to speak the hard truth lovingly and to not uncross my arms. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. That takes guts. I'm going to pray for you. But if that was you, just pray this simple prayer. God, give me courage to say what needs to be said. God, give me courage to say what needs to be said. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would be a big neon sign pointing to God rather than leading people to believe that everything rises and falls on me and my effort? With nobody looking but just me, that is a hard thing to do, especially in this city. If you're here and you say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would tether others' hope to God and not to me. If that's you, if you would just indicate by lifting your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. That takes guts. When we do that, we finish well because we're realizing that it's not about us. We run our race to the best of our ability. We cling to God Almighty for the future, and he is the one who eventually finishes the race. If that's you, just pray this simple prayer. God, let me be a big neon sign pointing to you. God, let me be a big neon sign pointing to you. Let that be the basis of my life. And then I feel led to ask this final question. Maybe there is someone here that would say, Zach, I can't finish well because there's never been a moment in my past where I professed faith in Jesus Christ. You realize that's the only way that we win or lose. If you have Jesus, you win. If you don't, then all life leading to eternity is tragic. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, I need to believe in Jesus for the very first time and be saved today. I need to trust him as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, if you would just indicate by lifting your hand where you are right now. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. I see you. I see you. If that was you, Lauren Padgett's going to be standing at the back. I'd like to encourage you, just where you are right now, nobody else is looking around, just stand up and walk back to Lauren right now. You ready? On your mark, get set, go. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for making that decision. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the way that you've spoken to us through this passage. And Lord, maybe we have some better insight into how this made the hall of faith. I can't wait till I get to heaven one day and I get to talk to Jacob about how that, how that moment specifically went down. Or the writer of Hebrews, why this specific moment was so important to them. Lord, I pray that we would be able to finish our race well. Lord, for those who are here today that have decided they are no longer going to cast their pearls before pigs or give dogs what is sacred, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would empower them to get those priorities straight, that they might use their energy units correctly and find those moments just like Jacob where they would sit up and they would rally strength to make the handoff of faith. Lord, I also pray for those who have called, who've been called to lovingly speak hard truth. Fill their thought, fill your, fill their mind with your thoughts. 
Fill their mouths with your words, and God, give them a double portion of courage to do what is right. And then, Lord, for those who need to be that big neon sign pointing to you rather than a big neon sign pointing to themselves, I pray that you would give them also a double portion of courage today and strength and give them the words that they might be able to make that exchange of faith. Thank you for what Jacob does, and I pray that we would finish our race well. In Jesus' name, amen.